It is five o'clock somewhere, and you've tuned in to episode 16 of BRC. For those of you who'd like to watch this episode, it's available on our website, YouTube, and Spotify. Today, in a Reading on the Rock segment, I speak with Shelley Sackier about her new book, Make It a Double. Then later in the show, returning guest Lynn House of Heaven Hill joins me to talk about Elijah Craig's Old Fashion Week. But first, I'll tell you about some new releases. Stay with us. There's nothing better than the smell of coffee in the morning. What if you could enjoy a coffee subscription of fresh, roasted specialty coffee while making a difference in the lives of the farmers that grow it? What if you also had access to a virtual coffee community of other coffee lovers and the coffee farmer and roaster? That's all part of the Farm to Cup Coffee Club subscription at Unleashed Coffee. Subscribe today. UnleashedCoffee.com Indri Dreamy, the single malt Indian whiskey, The Three Wood, is a new Indian single malt that has just been introduced in the American market. Bottled at 46% ABV, this is the first Indian whiskey to be produced in three different wooden barrels, ex-bourbon, French red wine, and PX sherry cask. The liquid matured in different barrels is carefully blended to create this expression, which brings out the individual character of each wood, without overshadowing the original whiskey profile. The whiskey is then bottled and non-chill filtered, with no colors added. This single malt is imported to the U.S. by Impex Beverages and a suggested retail price at $55 a bottle in select retailers. Also available now is the newest release of Grey Label Bourbon by Barrel Craft Spirits. This release is constructed from bourbons of varying ages made from five different mash bills. After marrying, the blend goes into casks made using 36-month air-dried staves that previously held Grey Label Bourbon to rest and further mature. On the nose, one might notice bright fruit notes, dry cider, tart green plum, and banana pudding. On the palate, there's hints of honeydew, cantaloupe, watermelon, as well as dark chocolate grenache and a gentle undercurrent of celery salt and a snuffed beeswax candle. The finish has an initial burst of sweet tea and lemon, followed by rose jelly, raspberry pastries, and chardonnay. For more information on these releases, visit our website for today's show notes. Stay tuned, because up next, we'll speak with Shelley Sackier on this week's Reading on the Rocks. Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good evening for wherever you're watching this. Today's Barrel Room Chronicles, we have Shelley Sackier, who is the author of Make It a Double, right here for those watching. It's a great book. Okay, so Shelley, do tell, how did you get into liking whiskey so much that you wrote a book and made this your career? Yeah, that's a, a tricky question because I got into having whiskey become my career by not liking whiskey. <laughs> How's that for a weird answer? It was my very first trip to Scotland when I was about 22 years old. I had a very most unforgiving handshake with brown spirits. Um, I was brought to a distillery on the west coast of Scotland, a place called Oban and in the Highlands. And I took a, a, a distillery tour. And as one does at the very end of those incredible tours, you're given a dram of that magical liquid and elixir. And uh, hopefully everyone, you're just going to join the chorus of oohs and ahs as to how this is made. And I basically became the female doppelganger of the green Mr. Yuck face. I just thought it was so foul and so offensive to my taste buds. And I said right then and there, never, ever again will I bring this liquid to my lips. And then 
that evening, I was with my then husband and we were staying in this beautiful country house hotel outside of Edinburgh called Balberni House. And at the time, Diageo, which is the one of the largest drinks conglomerates, they were having this fantastic marketing campaign called Classic Malts. And they had beautiful display of six different bottles that were all supposed to represent the different flavors of the region of Scotland. And so the barkeep at the hotel came over and said, oh, before dinner, would you all like to have a dram of whiskey as you're looking at the menu? And my husband turned to the barkeep and said, do not waste your precious elixir on my wife's taste buds. She has absolutely no, no appreciation of the liquid whatsoever. And so this man clutches his chest and he's, oh my God, what did you give her? And he said, oh, I gave her a, a dram of Oban and you would have thought I was giving her an ounce of poison. And, and the barkeep said, you did, <laughs> you, you did do that. You cannot start somebody on that end of the flavor profile and expect them to have an appreciation when it's, it's hugely unpalatable. It's a little bit like starting people off on the Scoville scale as to like, here, drink some pepper spray instead of try some pimento juice. Yeah, it was so foreign to me. And he said, let me just trust me for a moment. Let me take you through. I'm going to find something that I promise will be much more appealing to your palate. And so he brought out a bottle of Glen Kinchy and he said, this is from the lowlands. It's from the garden of Scotland. It's also referred to as a lady's malt. When you nose it, when you place it beneath your nose and you just get that liquid on your tongue, you're going to get notes of vanilla and flowers and cheesecake. And I said, oh my godfathers, you're making it sound like a marmalade cosmopolitan, hand it over. <laughs> and so I did spend just a moment smelling that and then tasting it. And I thought, this does not taste like turpentine. This is actually really delicious. And it was because of that one man and because of his patience and in his enthusiasm that I made that massive 180 degree pivot. Oh, uh, and and what was that? All in one day. Yeah. Had it not been for him, my life would be very different. I'd be a captain of industry someplace else. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let's go a little further back with your background. Where did you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And when you were a child, what did you think you would be doing as an adult? Or a career. I was born and partially raised in Wisconsin, where many of my family members are farm animals, because that is how we do it over there. <laughs> it gets very cold in the winter in Wisconsin. But I was actually raised and trained from a very, very early age, so early that I can't remember not being a musician. We, we all studied classical music. My mother was a concert violinist and my dad was one of those super lucky guys who could just pick up any instrument and just intuitively know how to make it sound like he knew what he was doing. So in our house, music came before our homework and you only practiced on the days that you ate. So it was very regimented style of this is how we do things in our household. And then I left home when I was about 15 and went on tour with a bunch of big band swing orchestras. And and so I had, even though I had trained classically and everyone was had the trajectory of my career aimed at, you're going to be a, an opera singer. My heart said, no, I'm not. I'm going to, I'm going to be Judy Garland or Liza Minnelli or it, just any, anybody who was as far away from classical music as possible. But that era of music was fabulous. And so I toured with a bunch of the guys from old jazz bands, Harry James's orchestra and Stan Kenton's and Frank Sinatra's guys. So these guys became my mentors. They were extra parents on 
the road. They basically just gave me this, the rest of my growing up teenage years, a sense of place and self. And that was it. Music was what I thought I was going to be doing for my entire life. And then I had children. <laughs> and as anyone who, who, who does decide to spawn the issue, you very quickly realize that you have no life of your own. And if you're a super talented person and can juggle things, then you actually have a career and raise children successfully. And I am not one of those people who is super talented. <laughs> so I had to make a choice. And I thought, I've got one shot at raising two human beings and making them the best I possibly could. I better not screw this up. And since I'd already had so many years working in the music industry, I thought that will just have to take a backseat. And while I was raising children, as it happens to a lot of creative people, you begin to grow a little stir crazy if you don't have uh -huh. an outlet. So exactly. after I tried every color of hair and painted the walls, every shade that, that Sherman Williams had, and there was an entire year where I explored culinarily everything that could be done with food. So there was an entire year where it was all just foam food. I was very into gastronomy. So everyone was saying, you need to do something that's a little bit more safe and sh less shocking. I knew what I knew, and that was songwriting and, and music. And in my mind, I was very good at writing lyrics and lyrics are basically just a story. So you have a beginning, a middle and an end. You've got two verses, a bridge and a chorus. They translate to one another. And I thought, now I don't have to be as pithy with lyrics. I can just actually write a story that's much, much less edited. And, and so I began writing fiction and did it for middle grade and young adults. And weirdly, this was all happening while I was back and forth to Scotland a, a million times over 20, 25 years and developing this enormous love for whiskey and all things related to the spirit and researching as much as I possibly could. The trips for pleasure? Or did you have things? Family. We had okay. family back there. So okay. my, my then husband was British. He still is. But so the, he had family in, in London. And I, the deal was, if I have to go visit your mother, you're going to take me into up into Scotland again, because I am fully falling in love with every aspect of, of this country. So Scotland w just became this absolute fascination of mine as I was touring from village to village and whatnot and desperate to go into every distillery I could manage to show up at. And at the time, 20 years ago, there weren't a whole hell of a lot of them that had tours and certainly weren't educating people on, hey, come visit our production room floor. So I was just basically knocking on back doors and saying, can I come look at your fermentation tanks? And they, <laughs> they were saying, why? <laughs> I had a very difficult time trying to translate. I'm curious. I'm interested. I like science. I want to know how you made that beautiful elixir taste as it does. How did those flavors and those scents get into that glass and teach me? And so that's how it happened. And I, at the, at around when I was 40 or so, my husband gifted me an internship at Bruachlati and said, you will now go to your favorite place in the whole world. You'll go to Isla. You'll go to your favorite distillery in the whole world. And uh, they will teach you all of the trade secrets. They, and then you will come back and open up a distillery in our garage and make us all wealthy. <laughs> and I tried to explain to him that was not really in the picture. But thank you for the gift. And and I had to deal with a lot of, of imposter syndrome at during that internship, mostly because I was an untrained 
person and I was a woman and the only one there. And I was constantly comparing myself to my counterparts. Um, who were also wondering why I was there. <laughs> so it's, there, as a woman in an industry that is mainly populated by men, there's a lot that one has to has to manage and muscle through. And I think these were very pivotal moments for me when I was doing that 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 schooling and realized that it didn't matter my level of education or skill set. I was there to learn, and I deserved to be there simply because I was fueled by curiosity. Right. So how long ago was that? And do you think there's more women there now? Oh, good Lord. Yes. That was probably about, let's see, 13 years ago or so. I always have a hard time with time, a dozen years or so more. And I definitely think that there are, are plenty of women who are obviously populating this industry. Good Lord, Rachel Berry and Jill Jones and Jillian McDonald and Marion Eves. There's just a million great women. There's one woman in Scotland now who I just think the world of, her name is Ruta Sequa, I think. And she is the founder of a Scottish rum distillery. I think it's called Mutaga. I might be mispronouncing that. Mutaga. I've never actually heard her say it or anybody say it, but they're basically enriching the livelihood of East Africans, specifically through their sugarcane plantations. And they've got the cane to cask thing going on, but I love her innovation and I love what it is that she's doing for women everywhere. And there are so many people to be looking up to. Now, there's another woman I absolutely adore, Nancy Fraley, who is so well known in the industry as being one of the best noses in the business. And so it's people like this, people like them, who I take great calm and comfort in knowing that because they're so upfront and visible now, there are fewer women who are pondering the question of, is there space for me in this industry? Is there a place for me? They have great examples. They have someone who has already cut a swath through that path. Right. Which is always fascinating to me. I try to get as many fascinating women in whiskey on the show as possible. Yeah, there's so, a, a long like, list now. How long was the internship? And when you came back, did you make any whiskey in your garage? <laughs> it was a very short internship, one I would have liked to have duplicated again and again, but it was only a space of a week and a half or so that oh, I was wow. there. But yes, then coming back to the United States, I no, I did not make whiskey in my garage ever, <laughs> but I was hired by a, an American distillery called Reservoir in Richmond, Virginia. And it was one of those absolutely beautiful moments of, again, just a, a, another pivotal moment where you are fighting against that imposter syndrome of, why would I be in this industry? I had been researching for another book that I was writing. And I went to this distillery in Richmond to speak with, I was looking for the master distiller or for somebody on the production room floor, just to make sure that I was getting all the technical aspect of it, because I had by this time developed a good 20 years worth of knowledge within the, the uh, scotch industry, but certainly American whiskey making has some differences. And I wanted to really nail all those down. And so I came across the proprietor of Reservoir, Dave Cutno, and he and I were talking and he said, why are you not working in this industry? You have this bucket full of knowledge and more about whiskey than everybody here in this distillery put together. Why are you not right. working in a distillery? And I said, 
I'm an author. This is what I do. I write about whiskey and about other things. And by the way, there's whiskey in every single one of my young adult novels. <laughs> I don't tell my editors that they don't know. Um, but you could never start them too young, right? Like fifth grade. Right. It's science. It's all about science and biology and chemistry and engineering. So this is never too young to start. Um, but uh, I said, I'm an author. And he said, we need to get you a position. You're not just going to work in the industry. You're going to work in my distillery. I'm going to find you a job. I'm going to make a job that is tailored specifically to all of your knowledge. And then we're going to squeeze you like a lemon. <laughs> so, so where were you Where were you living when you visited that? Were you in that state even? Or Oh, yes. You, yeah. Okay. I was about an hour away or so and still within, not spitting distance, but within traveling distance. And then he made that job offer sound even more enticing because he said, you can do a lot of it remotely <laughs> and nice. just come into the distillery as we need you. And then of course, COVID hit. And so I wasn't bothered by that just to be able to work from home doing everything that I needed to do. So that was truly, it was one of the best, best things that has ever happened to me in my life. And I'm very lucky to work in this distillery specifically. That's awesome. So you're still there today. I am still there today. Yeah. I work as what? the director of distillery education. Oh, that sounds perfect for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fancy ass title and uh, just fill in the blanks with whatever needs to be done. A bit of a Swiss army knife position. I love it. So let's talk about the book real quick. The Devil. What inspired you for the book? What is the main story here? And give us a little overview. Yeah, I feel like I have never not been writing this book. I have been working on this compendium of stories for two decades because I wanted to track this transformation that I knew I was going through. And I had initially had this negative reaction to this spirit, very visceral, noxious to my body reaction. And because of that one person's enthusiasm, because of their just super patient instruction, and because I what's that? Petrified. Oh, petrified. Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and also because my next experiences were paired with things like folklore and history and the destinations I was traveling to and the keen craftsmanship, the food and the music, just like everything that embodied the making of this spirit. I saw in real time how influential and critical they all were to rewiring my brain to welcome something foreign, something I couldn't possibly appreciate without a foundation from which to understand it. And I always tell people it's a little bit like, like putting your Joe average fifth grader into a calculus class, because I think there is so much that one needs to know that one has to be exposed to first before all those hieroglyphics start to become beautiful. And so this book allows me, in short order, to expose people to a few of those crucial and fascinating things that might be a little bit out of reach. And in order to basically make that initial handshake with brown spirits to be a bit less befuddling and a lot more enticing. That's awesome. And this came out when? June 7th, I think. Awesome, awesome. And then what number book is this for you, writing? That is number four of actual published, but there's a whole lot of drivel that's never been published. <laughs> so lo loads of books that are in desks and just waiting and, and others that are with publishers or agents or editors who are all going through various stages of rejection. <laughs> or holding it off for the best time to put it out there. That's yeah. Shelly, this is fantastic. I can't wait to finish reading this. I just started just because I just got it. But fascinating stories. And I think your journey through whiskey has been one of the most unique. And I really enjoyed listening to your story. And I thank you for coming on the show today. 
Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I think, Carrie, that you guys have one of the most amazing podcasts and and I, I, the world of spirits and uh, brown spirits specifically are very lucky to have you with all the phenomenal guests that you have on your show. So well, thank, thank you, you for making me be a part of it. I appreciate that. So where can people find you on your social handles and your websites and all that? If they want to get the book, where can they go? Definitely. I am on Instagram at Shelly Sackier and on the, I have my website, which is ShellySackier.com. You can find lots of information there. And then also the ReservoirDistillery.com that has listed all of our, all of our events, the places that we're going with this book and bottle tour that we're doing, which is great fun. And then if you want to buy the book, I always suggest people first and foremost, go find your favorite indie store and give hey. them some love because we need all those people to stay in business and pay their electricity bills. Okay, great. Thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Don't touch that device. We'll be right back with Whiskey Whereabouts. Yeah! Hey guys, we're back, finally, after COVID-19. I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise. I'm the chef. Chef Louise Leonard, as in Whiskey, A Chef's Journey. That chef. Yes. We started shooting just before the pandemic lockdown, and now today, our very first day, you are catching us on set, and we would love to talk to you about how you can help get us from here to your TV set. The thing is, we've run out of money. We mounted a pre-production campaign, which was very successful. Thank you very much for that. But now, we're back into production, and we need your support for this you supported this uh, the first go-round, or if you didn't, we welcome your support this time. The thing is, we want to take this show around the world, quite literally. Quite literally. And that takes money. Yes. So, won't you help us get this to market? You can visit whiskeyachefsjourney.com for all of the information you're going to need to help us realize this project. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. <laughs> cheers. cheers. Today on the show in Whiskey Whereabouts, we have Lynn House from Heaven Hill. You may remember our interview with her in episode 11 of Spirits of Whiskey, where we got to hear her whole whiskey journey from beginning and pre-whiskey journey to where she is today. And now we have Lynn here to tell us about what's been going on since we last spoke to her, the awards she has won, and some acquisitions about uh, that Heaven Hill has made. And most importantly, we are here to talk about Old Fashioned Week. Lynn, welcome. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be back. It's great to have you. So tell me, what's been happening since last we spoke? What acquisitions have had happened? And are there any new ones on the horizon? Well, there has been a lot that has happened since last we left. Uh, that was 2020. So the beginning yeah. of a big change in the world. Yes. During that time, we uh, finished our visitor center, the update on our visitor center in Bardstown. Um, invested about $25 million into that. And so that has been fantastic. We have been moving forward with our grain to glass project in which we are working with um, heirloom grains that are indigenous to Kentucky. Okay. So those first harvests got distilled and are in barrels now. So we'll see what happens in a couple of years with that. A whole new series will be coming from us. Um, as you mentioned, acquisitions, uh, we did um, acquire the entire Samson and Surrey portfolio. So on the whiskey yes. side, that's Widow Jane. On the whiskey side, yes. that's also 
few spirits, which is here in Chicago, literally down the street, about 10 minutes from where I live, which is fantastic. I've known Paul for years. Um, we acquired Blue Coat Gin, Vago Mezcal, and Tequila Ocho, so that entire portfolio. So I have a whole new family of brands to play with. And Did you also get Bryn, Bryn Whiskey? Oh, that's correct. Thank you. Yes. We got, I'm like, I know we I'm remember Allison. now. <laughs> Allison Park, yeah. So we have Bren, which is uh, a single malt. It's not a scotch. It's a single malt that is produced in the Cognac region of France. So some really, really beautiful brands we have acquired. And uh, I think something that our listeners, particularly our whiskey lovers, will find exciting. In June, we broke ground on our second distillery, Great. which will be called Heaven Hill Springs. It's actually on the site of our original distillery, which burnt in 1996. And that is scheduled to be completed in 2024. And when it does, it will double our capacity. Wow. Very so there's cool. a lot going on. <laughs> Lots going on. And then in your personal world, you won an award this last summer. Tell us about that. I did. So each year, Tales of the Cocktail, which is the world's largest, I guess, cocktail festival, if you want to call it that, um, where people come from all around the world, they have the Spirited Awards. And after being nominated, this is my third time nominated, but I did take home the big prize this year. And awesome. I won Best U.S. Brand Ambassador. So That's awesome. Yeah, Tales. I went tail, to Tales this year for the first time. Had a blast. And Excellent. Uh, we actually did the season finale, a two-part season finale of, of the other podcast that I work on, the Cocktail Guru podcast with Jeffrey and Jonathan Pogash. It was a lot of fun. Um, so awesome. those of you out there who want to know more about Tales of the Cocktail, uh, check out that those, those two episodes when we were actually recording when we heard that you won. So that was really awesome. Let's talk about uh, Old Fashioned Week. What is, okay. what is this all about? What did it, when did it start? How did it start? How did it progress? We have at Heaven Hill, obviously, a very huge whiskey portfolio. Um, but this is um, an exclusively an Elijah Craig event. So Elijah Craig sponsored. And this has been a brand. Um, Elijah Craig was debuted in, 1990, in 1986. And it was an innovation of Parker Beam, who was one of our former master distillers. And Parker's Heritage Collection is named in honor of him. And it's been a baby brand that's slowly grown and grown and grown. And it's really been hospitality industry that we have to thank for getting the word about how fantastic this bourbon is and this whole portfolio is. And so we wanted a way to give back. And we launched this in 2020. And um, there is a charitable uh, component to it. So it's a way for us to get um, first and foremost to highlight bars that are um, serving their variations of Elijah Craig Old Fashioned. So we're getting seats in their bars, you know, people in their seats, which is important, particularly following COVID. But um, we also have a social media sharing platform with it. And for each picture that everybody puts up of their Elijah Craig Old Fashioned, whether you're at a bar or you're making it at home, we're gonna donate $5 per picture to the Southern Smoke Foundation which is a foundation cool. that um, is really focused on giving back to hospitality. In fact, during the COVID years, during the pandemic, when we were on lockdown, they donated almost $6.7 million to restaurant workers um, across the country for relief funds. So um, we're really happy to be partnered with that. Our goal is to raise $100,000 um, to have people coming to these bars and venues Obviously, if you want to sip at home, have an Elijah Craig Old Fashioned at home. 
you can help raise money by just posting a picture on our Instagram. So, oh, perfect. I'll have to do that because I will be in Ireland during this week. But fantastic. Um, I can find some Elijah Craig out in a in a pub in Ireland and and participate. Fantastic. <laughs> Where exactly did this? Who came up with this idea and when? I, I know it started in 2020, but how did how did the pandemic affect the launch, basically? Well, the pandemic had a tremendous effect to the launch because it was supposed to be a live launch. Um, myself, our master distiller, Connor O'Driscoll, the whiskey team, Bernie Lubbers, and Jack Choate, we were all supposed to be out in market, going to venues, um, and then the whole world shut down. So we had to convert it to a virtual venue which was fantastic. And we actually had Chef Richard Blaze um, nice. come on and uh, celebrate the old fashioned with us. And Jeffrey Morgenthaler, um, who's been a great partner of ours for years, come on. And we did a essentially like a virtual photothon, if you want to say, not telethon, but photothon. So we were on Facebook Live and just had people donating directly to organizations, sharing the old fashions. Richard Blaze made his old fashioned. Jeffrey, myself, um, we competed against each other with with Chef uh, Richard Blaze, you know, and fans got to vote. Um, but we have always set out a goal to raise $100,000 just in that week. And even though we were still virtual, we were able to achieve that goal. Oh, wow. Uh, 2021 still was a virtual um, as the world just wasn't quite safe and a lot of on-premise places had still shut it down. Um, and we did it virtually. There were some live activations, but we did not personally travel. This will actually be my first year going out and celebrating Old Fashioned Week with our fantastic trade partners and with consumers and such. So, Wow, that's exciting. So how many yeah. bars do you have participating? Or do you know? Oh my gosh, we are still signing up bars, but last number I said saw, we have about a thousand bars across the country wow. signed wow. up. And then what people can actually do is you can just go to oldfashionedweek.com and enter your zip code and you can find out what bars in your neighborhood in the country. And this has become a global event now that oh, we wow. have. Oh, wait, so there might be one in Ireland that I can go there to. There might be one in Ireland. There potentially <laughs> nice. could be one in Ireland. I was reading... Uh, the report the other day, and there's some in England. We have Benji, uh, who is our uh, international um, brand educator. So he's been working on getting those placements out there too. So it's been pretty fantastic, the response. And we definitely exceeded the goal of bars that we wanted to participate and showcase. And that number continues to grow. So that is awesome. Well, I will definitely, definitely be participating from wherever I can find. If I can find one in Ireland, I will. Otherwise, I will make my own in Ireland and uh, send in my picture. And yes, um, yes. Now, is anyone trying to do a, a twist on the recipe or are they just sending in pictures of their drink? We have all of the above. We have a lot of traditionalists. Some accounts are just going to put a traditional old-fashioned, um, but we're really encouraging people um, to show us their creativity. Mm -hmm. So I... Uh, did consult on an account that wants to do a fig old fashioned. So Ooh. kind of taught them how to make a fig syrup that I thought would be appropriate and maybe using like cardamom bitters instead of Angostura bitters because that complements okay. figs really nicely. Right. So, you know, we're celebrating the core recipe. I mean, the old fashioned literally is the definition of a cocktail. It's spirit plus bitters plus water plus sugar 
which is the right. technical definition of a cocktail. And, you know, the origins go back for at least two centuries for us here in the United States. And so yeah. we also want to celebrate this classic cocktail. Um, I do think it's also really cool to mention the first time we see, and it's uh, a book called The Ideal Bartender, written by Thomas Bullock. Okay. There was a black bartender at the Pandennis Club in Kentucky. And so for me, also being a black woman, the fact that the first documented recipe of the old fashioned, it speaks a lot to the history. And so we're, we also want to celebrate that as well. So That's awesome. um, I've done versions of it, including like a tart cherry syrup and chocolate bitters, more of a dessert old fashioned. Um, I've also been inspired by my own heritage with a twist. And I did like a West African, so a Creole um, old fashioned where I made nice. a, um, a rice milk syrup and used like cinnamon and different spices in there that were, are very much um, speak to my heritage. So oh, you we're may seeing, have to send me the recipe for that seeing one. a lot of people playing around. So, yes. That's awesome. I'm very excited about this this week for you guys. And I'm so excited that it's actually out in the world this year. And I wish you all the best. And so why don't you tell our audience uh, where they can put their pictures up exactly and what handles they should use. Absolutely. So if you just go to Instagram, um, go to at Elijah Craig, that is our handle. And then hashtag old fashioned week. That's how we can track it um, and put your picture up. Um, if you're at a fabulous bar, let us know what bar you're at so that we can celebrate them and get people at their venues. That's a really big part of this. Um, if you're at home, let us know at home, show off your home bar. Um, you can also go to oldfashionedweek.com. Um, there's some, uh, we're, we're featuring a hundred bar kits. So there's a chance for just consumers to earn some prizes as well. We want to give back and just thank people for supporting it. There's a lot that you can do, but that's first and foremost, we want you to go visit venues. The hospitality industry really needs us. And um, you can also go to southernsmokefoundation.com. They'll have things posted about Old Fashioned Week, as well as if you want to continue to support them throughout the year, you could do that as well. That's awesome. And what um, are the exact dates for this week? So the week is October 14th through the 23rd. So that's when we want you, you know, visiting accounts, taking pictures, showing us your old fashioned, having fun with it, have fun with it at home. Maybe just go on and visit the site and get inspired by others for your own creations. But October 14th through the 23rd is the official dates of Old Fashioned Week. Fantastic. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming on to our Whiskey Whereabouts section of the uh, podcast. And we would love to have you back uh, later when we have even more updates from you. And um, <laughs> good luck with the, the project. And I will definitely be sending in at least one picture, probably more, because I will be drinking my way through Ireland that entire week. So I could probably do one at every <laughs> place we stop. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I know how Ireland can be, so I can see that big a possibility. So I look All forward right. to seeing those. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. That does it for today's show. To read notes on this episode or learn more about our guests, please visit BarrelRoomChronicles.com. Want to interact with the show or have questions for our guests? Then ask them on our socials or send us an email through our website. Or better yet, leave us a voicemail on our anchor page and your recording might be played in our new Speakeasy segment. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you really liked it and you want to show your support, buy us a whiskey through our Kofi site at ko-fi.com slash BRC or become an exclusive member of the Barrel Room Parlor, where you'll get exclusive content not seen anywhere else. If you work in the whiskey or spirits industry or just have a deep passion for whiskey and want to share your spirits journey, register to be a guest through our website. 
Last but not least, please enjoy your spirits responsibly. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, Solangeva. Barrel Room Chronicles is a production of First Real Entertainment and is distributed by Anchor FM and is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.